Welcome to the Dead Good Staffordshire podcast. These podcasts have been created for Dying Matters Awareness Week. You'll get a new podcast every day this week talking about all sorts of different things to do with Dying Matters. Now, every minute someone in the UK dies, but many of us still do not feel comfortable talking about dying. Talking more openly about dying can help you to make the most of life and to support loved ones. We want people to actively make plans for themselves, share them with friends and family, support the bereaved and offer support and help to those who may need it. People shouldn't be afraid to ask for help or to offer help. Communities are growing larger and more varied and all can be affected by death and loss. So in between the 14th and 20th of May 2018, during Dying Matters Awareness Week, there are lots of activities taking place across Staffordshire to encourage you to talk about death and dying to help you think what can you do to be more active in planning for your future talking about death and dying won't make it happen but asking what can you do and taking a few small actions can reassure you and your loved ones about the future hello and welcome to today's dead good staffordshire podcast today's episode is about wills and lasting power of attorney now i know what you're thinking yeah we're talking about wills we're talking about the side of things that's actually quite difficult to think about because we're talking essentially about our own mortality and admitting we are not going to be around forever I, for one, am the first person to put their hand up and say, do you know what, I haven't got a will sorted because that feels like a really grown-up thing to do and it almost feels like I'm admitting that I'm old and I'm ready to die. But it's not. My husband laughs at me and says I am the practical person in the relationship because I have everything all sorted, dusted. But this is the one thing that I just can't get sorted Hopefully, after listening to this podcast, I obviously spoke to the people at Beswick's Legal about this, and it certainly changed my opinion and and has certainly shifted the whole get the will sorted much higher up my to-do list than it has been recently, and I hope it does the same for you in this episode as well. I'm Juliet Carter. Um, I'm a solicitor with Beswick's Legal and I'm a member of the Wills and Estate team. It's important to make a will so you can ensure the best disposition of your estate. You can also think about things like asset protection, generational planning and perhaps if you might qualify for certain inheritance tax reliefs to ensure that you obtain those. Um, If you don't have a will then your assets will be distributed in accordance with the rules of intestacy. The law intervenes and it states who your estate will pass to and that may be a person or people that you don't wish to benefit. In England and Wales you must be over 18 but there is an exception for armed forces on active duty so they are able to make a special will when 17 years of age. 
Can you make your own will? You can. I would suggest not doing so. You've got to be careful that you do dispose of the whole of your estate. You consider what would happen if a beneficiary were to predecease you. Perhaps unusual, we don't always give it thought, but it can happen. And what happens if a beneficiary were to fall out of favour, be involved in divorce proceedings or bankruptcy? So it is important to engage the services of a professional who can advise specific to your circumstances and just ensure that any unusual situations are catered for. What kind of unusual situations are there? It might be that there are blended families where you have children from previous marriages. You want to ensure that your estate is going to pass on to them. Um, You may also have the situation where perhaps a child is experiencing matrimonial difficulties and you wouldn't want your estate to pass to them if anything were to happen to you whilst they're undergoing divorce proceedings. Again, as I've mentioned about bankruptcy, similarly, and it may be that you need to consider the inclusion of a trust within your will to protect your assets so that if those unfortunate situations were to arise, then the assets are protected. Just what are executors? So executors are the people that you choose within the will to administer your estate and distribute the assets in accordance with the terms of the will. So they can be a beneficiary or a close relative. I do get asked that question quite a lot. Um, Some people believe that, oh, well, if they're a beneficiary of the will, they can't also be an executor. Yes, they can. Dependent on your circumstances, it can sometimes be prudent to appoint professional executors, such as a solicitor or accountant, um, to administer and deal with the distribution of your estate, dependent on the nature of your assets um, and your particular circumstances. If you've got a trust within the will, we do suggest that you have at least more than one executor, um, because the executor will also perform a dual role as being a trustee of any trusts that arise out of the will. So they will manage assets held on trust and make decisions about that trust. In what kind of situation would you use a trust? So I've just touched on this. Um, It can be for generational planning that we want to consider passing our assets on to children, but we want the best method of passing them on and for protection, they may be, again, experiencing matrimonial difficulties. They could be a spendthrift, in which case you don't want them to just have it absolutely and the next minute they've spent it. Or again, there could be bankruptcy proceedings pending and if they were to inherit a large sum of money, then the trustees in bankruptcy would obtain that sum. Um, Again, you can prevent assets from being diverted away from the bloodline. So every case is quite specific and I would recommend therefore taking advice just to discuss your particular situation. What if someone's circumstances change though? A will should reflect your circumstances at the time of completing it. We can't cater for every eventuality in the future. We don't know what's going to happen. None of us have got a crystal ball. So the good practice is to review your will every three to five years to make sure it still meets with your circumstances. It's appropriate. If not, 
then get in touch and make arrangements to update it or to discuss the terms. It might be that you've just forgotten what you did, what it meant, and you can review it and decide whether there are any changes given your family circumstances and the law at that time. How specific can you be when it comes to writing a will? You can provide for funeral wishes within the will. You can also provide for the disposition of your personal possessions, your jewellery. We usually suggest that it's useful to refer to a memorandum because your personal possessions can change. So you can state on that memorandum where something should go, which particular person, and perhaps put a little note as to why you want them to have it. That's quite nice. You can also put in their provision for pets. Some people's pets are very dear to them. They want to put in what would happen if their pets outlive them. You can provide legacies. You can put in their donations to charity. So there's lots you can do within a will. What should people do if they want to find out more? We invite people to come into the office to have a review of their will, have a chat. We're all very friendly and approachable and we can sit and look at the existing will or if not, we can take instructions for a new will and advise on their circumstances. What is a lasting power of attorney? A lasting power of attorney is a document that you complete while you're fit and well and have capacity to do so that allows you to appoint a person or people who can act on your behalf and make decisions for you if you're unable to do so for yourself. So there are two types. The first one relates to your property and financial affairs, i.e. making decisions about your money, your investments, and it can extend to the sale of property. The next one is a health and welfare, and this is very similar to what was a living will. So it includes making decisions about your dress, daily routine, and where you might live. But also within that document, there is a question about life-sustaining treatment. So whether you give your attorneys the ability to refuse or consent to life-sustaining treatment. Just a point to note that the people you you do appoint, in regards to the property and financial affairs, they can act for you even if you have capacity. So it might be that you have had a stroke which renders you unable to sign or inactive. So the people you appoint can can make decisions, they can go to the bank, they can withdraw your funds. However, the health and welfare will only come into play if you have a lost capacity. You can't make decisions about your own health and well-being. What do you mean by capacity? So initially to enter into the transaction, you've got to have a certain level of capacity and understand that you do have money that needs to be managed. Similarly with the health and welfare that people can be making decisions on your behalf, very important decisions about, as I've said, the day-to-day dress, daily routine, but also that life-sustaining treatment. Now, that might not be how we all think about it as being in a vegetative state. It might be that you need a course of antibiotics to prolong your life. And it's those people who are going to be making decisions. So the key to it is that we have to, uh, we have to trust 
the people that we appoint. Firstly, you need to complete the document. You can do either or both. And that involves providing certain personal information about you as the donor, the person giving the power, and the people that you want to appoint as your attorneys who can make decisions on your behalf. Within that document, there is also a section where somebody needs to provide a certificate to certify that you have the relevant capacity to enter into the transaction and that you're not being put under any undue influence or pressure. And it is preferential for that to be done by a professional person. I myself have been called upon to give evidence as to how I've assessed capacity. It can happen. Once the document is complete, so all parties have signed, it then goes away to a body called the Office of the Public Guardian and it has to be registered before the attorneys can act. That process can take eight to ten weeks depending on how busy they are and once it's returned registered then the attorneys can act if need be or otherwise the document can be put away for safekeeping. Who governs LPAs? So as I've mentioned, the Office of the Public Guardian are the body that oversee and they police the lasting powers of attorney, um, their registration and best practice. The attorneys are must or must adhere to the Mental Capacity Act. So when they're acting, they have always got to act in the donor's best interests. They can't utilise the donor's funds um, for themselves. So they have to make sure that they are always acting on behalf of the donor in the best possible way. When should people get this sort of thing sorted? I recommend that people do this when they're fit and well, that they've got the relevant capacity, that it's there ready and waiting if the need arises. More often than not, people will do these when it's at a more critical time They might be losing capacity, so it's then difficult as to whether they can enter into the transaction. And the attorneys require more immediate access to the funds. It might be for payment of care fees, for example. So they find themselves in a position where their hands are tied because they can't access that person's money. So my recommendation is do it when you're fit and well, have it there ready and waiting, There is um, ability to revoke it, so if relationships change, you can do so and make a new one. Is this something that can be done off the shelf at home? No, there are specific forms that need to be completed. I would recommend engaging the services of a professional uh, simply because there are a certain process that has to be adhered to. And if you get it slightly wrong, the Office of the Public Guardian will reject the application and then you'll have to go through the process again and there is a registration fee payable so if it is wrong and incorrect then more often than not the office of the public guardian will not return the registration fee and you'll have to pay to resubmit <laughs>